It was an epic college football playoff as both games were wild high-scoring affairs, including a last-second field goal attempt as the ball dropped in Times Square to kick off 2023. I'll recap both semifinal matchups with a look ahead to the championship game next Monday night. The NFL is down to its final week. I'll take a look at who's put themselves in good position to make it into the postseason and who's not. LeBron James celebrates his 38th birthday in grand style on the court in Atlanta. Alexander Ovechkin nets another hat-trick as the Capitals continue to stay hot. And the passing of a legend as Pele succumbs to a long illness. The new year is here, but it's the same old fast-paced, action-packed, entertaining, and informative sports talk unlike any other. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits. I want to wish all a safe, healthy, prosperous, and happy new year as we usher in 2023 with plenty of hope, belief, and faith that will strive to be better, do better, and live a fulfilled and purposeful life over the next 363 days and beyond. Speaking of purpose, I'm here to deliver the first pod of the third year of the decade already. Can you imagine? Seemed like 2020 was just three months ago, and even though that's a year that we certainly want to forget, but as of right this moment, with nothing but high energy, pure passion, and plenty of analysis and opinions, as we turn the calendar on a new sports year, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and we got a lot to chew on here, mostly stuff that's happened on the gridiron, NBA, eh, not much going on there, NHL, pretty much the same there, Major League Baseball, quiet, so we don't have to get into the whole Carlos Correa nonsense, but you gotta wonder, are the Mets gonna make a decision here in the coming days, now that we've crossed 2022 into 2023 how much longer is this going to go on but anyway enough of that and we're also going to talk about Pele toward the back end to recap and relive the great Pele who passed away on Thursday right after I recorded the podcast so I'll spend a couple of minutes on him as far as his legend is concerned but we're going to start off now with the NFL and yes there's a lot to get into there as we 
have a huge Monday night game tonight, Buffalo and Cincinnati, which could mean minimum at least a two seed in the conference, but a possible one seed, depending on what the Kansas City Chiefs do on Sunday out in Vegas. But I'll save that for later on because I want to start off with the college football, and I understand that it's been about 48 hours, depending on when you're listening to this, since this has happened. But because of the way those two games broke down, shaped up, and pretty much were packaged over the course of, sad to say, over eight hours. And I'll get into that in a minute. But that was a college football playoff, which will probably be remembered forever because it was the best two games that happened on one day in the history of this format. We could go back to all the games in the past, and yes, you've had some great games, you've had some very good games, but nothing along the lines of having both of these semifinal matchups and these particular teams with TCU being the Cinderella and Ohio State coming in through the back door with what we saw there at the end with USC and to have the drama, to have just excitement up and down the field, back and forth, etc., you name it. That's what this college football Saturday was to close out not only the sports year, but of course the year in particular. And when we take a 30,000 foot view of both of these games before I get into a breakdown of each, the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta, the first thing that comes to mind is as much as college football hit a grand slam with these two games on Saturday and we could break out all the pom-poms to show that college football is arguably the third most popular sport in the country. That is behind, obviously, the NFL and even the NBA because we all know the NBA is based on their superstars and the individual players and a lot of the fans that circle the wagons for basketball, they're going to look at players like Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, obviously LeBron, John Morant. So the sport is vibrant in that regard when it comes to the stars because they are head and shoulders more popular than maybe rooting for a particular team, especially among the younger folk. And then you could say college football right after that because baseball is trailing far behind, the NHL, maybe MMA has crept up a little bit, but maybe not in the consciousness of every sports fan or the majority of sports fans in the nation and beyond. So college football, as I mentioned, did... I'm sure phenomenal numbers with the ratings. I'm sure that everybody watched with bated breath, especially as you're counting the seconds to 2023 with the field goal try at the end with Ohio State. Just riveting to say the least. But we have to talk about the elephant in the room. And the problem is that these games are just interminable. How are college football games four hours to watch and they want to kill baseball? Because the sport is just dragging and has no drama, no suspense. And I get it. Baseball, it's better to be there live than to watch it on TV. And I don't want to compare the sports. But the point of the matter is, is that as much as people want to kill baseball, watching it three and a half hours, three hours, 20 minutes, etc. Well, what do you have to say about college football? And I understand it's exciting and it came down to the wire. But not every game is like that. And thankfully, the college football fan or even the casual sports fan were entertained by both of those games, despite the fact that it took four hours minimum for these games to be played. And we're not even talking overtime. So I have to start there. And I'm not trying to dump cold water on it. That's just how it is. How could they speed up the sport? We know the rules are a lot different in college than they are on the pros. So they're not going to go into adopt certain measures or rules or make any drastic changes in regards to that. But it'd be nice if they did speed the game up because, come on. You can watch the new Avatar movie, go to the bathroom, 
to the parking lot, drive your car, and go home faster than watching a college football game. And maybe even driving to the theater, depending on how close the theater is to your home. That's my point, people. But as far as that goes with the takeaways, as entertaining as that first game was, to me, it was just way too much back and forth, especially that third quarter into the fourth quarter. It did settle down a bit, and you did see some defense. But, geez, if you thought that was exciting, or if you thought that was riveting, to me, it looked like the first team to score 60 was going to win the game. And as it was, TCU scored 51, and they were able to pull it out in the end. But boy, I thought that game was going to end up being 60-56, to 56, let alone 51-45. So that's the one thing I didn't like about the game, but of course it was entertaining as hell. A lot of turnovers, a lot of big plays, etc. And then in the nightcap, all you have to point is Georgia, their championship medal, their experience, their resiliency, and I know Ohio State and everybody there in Columbus is sick to their stomach just like they are in Ann Arbor. But what you saw there was Georgia showing why that they are the defending national champs and they're going to be a tough out a week from tonight out at SoFi. That's what you got there overall. As far as the games are concerned, the first game, TCU and Michigan, I said this on the podcast the other day so you could check those receipts. The only way TCU was going to win this game was if Michigan was going to turn the ball over, especially deep in their territory to where TCU would have a short field to try to capitalize punch it into the end zone, and not only did that happen, but they got, not one, two pick sixes in the game, and on top of that, they got a huge break with the call, Roman Wilson makes that catch there at the goal line, looks like he was able to get into the end zone, but as controversial as that was, that's a play that it looked like it was at the one foot line, no matter how much you want to argue that, and then the next play, Michigan fumbles the ball, TCU recovers, and to me, those are the three biggest plays in the game. And I understand you can't really look at it from that regard when it comes to the pick six to open up the scoring at 7 nothing right, right out of the gate. And this is after Michigan in the first play. Donovan Edwards busts right through the gut going up the field where they sets them up at the first and goal. And then they weren't even able to capitalize there as they went for it on fourth and goal with a Philly special that was stopped by TCU. And I thought, I get it. They were trying to make a statement I can't kill Harbaugh for that decision. It's the first drive of the game. You do not know how the game's going to play out. And I get it. You want to get points. You want to be able to at least have something, some momentum on the board that you were able to put up a crooked number. People could kill Harbaugh. Oh, you should have went for at least a field goal. It's the first drive of the game. And he was trying to make a statement there to show TCU this is the bigger stage. This isn't playing against the dregs of the Big 12. And he failed. What could you say? But for Max Duggan, who did not have a great game, but he did make plays, and he has a lot of heart and a lot of toughness. But having that pick six to get them started, they were up 14-0. We know about the fumble there at the goal line at 14-3. They were able to turn it around to make it 21-3, 21-6 at the half, and then the third quarter went haywire to where both teams scored, what, 44 points? And my wife, who wouldn't watch college football if it was in her backyard or couldn't name one player at gunpoint at the start of the third quarter or roughly right after because Michigan did kick the field goal at 21-9 and when she came out, even she said, what the hell? And I'm being nice about it. So you know where I'm going when it comes to that comment. She was shocked to see that the score was like a video game. And that's just a microcosm of how I felt 
because for these teams to go up and down the field, back and forth, scoring at will, I said to myself, where's the defense? Hence my comment about the first team to 60 was going to win. So now the game did actually cool down a little bit in the fourth quarter, and then you had the scenario where even at 51-45, and that was a key missed extra point on the second pick six, which made it 34-16. And then missing that extra point, even then I thought to myself, watch that come back to haunt them. And as Michigan was going to drive on their final possession, and I thought to myself, this would be storybook for Michigan to go down the field, not only get the touchdown, but kick the extra point, And that was for naught because TCU did rise to the occasion defensively. They were able to get a stop there where they had a bunch of laterals. And then I believe Donovan Edwards tried to throw it ahead with an illegal forward pass, which nullified that whole play. And give it up. TCU did not allow Michigan to even get an inch, let alone a yard on that final drive. Because as we all know, if Michigan would have gotten some momentum, let's say just to get a first down there, Chances are they may have would have gone down the field a little bit more and who knows, with a Hail Mary to the end zone or even a shot where you could have gotten a pass interference or you just never know. But TCU was able to hang on and survive to win 51-45. Listen, they made the plays that they had to make. Were they the better team overall? On this day they were. We all know Michigan is a powerhouse team but shot themselves in the foot here. And that's why Ann Arbor and the big house the whole administration, they got to be beyond sick and probably have not slept since Saturday evening. And it's not because of New Year's Eve drinking and getting the hangover the next day. If you're Michigan, you are just crestfallen. There's no other way to put it. TCU showed fight. TCU was valiant. TCU was able to capitalize on those mistakes and they were vital for them to win the game. And Michigan's going to have to think about this long and hard as they go into the latter part of winter, spring, recruitment, etc. And Jim Harbaugh, now you're starting to hear rumors and rumblings about the Broncos touching base with him to see if he can make that jump to the NFL. And that's for another time, but I'll just bring it up now just to put it out there. But if you're TCU, you have to be proud of this moment. Sonny Dykes, the coach, just tremendous the whole year, and I thought even losing that game to Kansas State in the Big 12 Championship was big because I felt even if they went in undefeated, it was just a foregone conclusion that they were going to lose. And not to say that that loss meant a lot or was good for them and maybe for their psyche because that game was over a month ago. But I always feel that a team a la last year with Cincinnati that went into that game undefeated and got pasted by Alabama, I thought maybe having that loss put a little humble pie, made them a little bit grounded, not reading the press clippings too much, and the coach obviously helps, and the team has rallied around that, and they've been gutty, a lot of gumption, play tough, and here they are, and the final game, the championship game, who they'll go up against Georgia, and for a minute there, we thought that Georgia was not going to make it out of this game alive. I have to say, and mind you, I did not watch this game start to finish I was traveling to a New Year's Eve party and all I could do was be relegated to my phone. Of course, I got to be present people. I can't just barge into somebody's apartment and just say, hey, can you put on the semifinal game? I want to watch this. I got to see this. I got to see what's going to happen or go on. Of course, I can't do that, but I was monitoring it throughout the course of the second half. 
First half, Ohio State jumps out. In fact, when they got the interception at 14-7 by Stetson Bennett, and I think that that was a route that was misread or miscalculated by the wide receiver. He went out when he should have gone in. Although Bennett, that was a bad pass. And then C.J. Stroud connects there with Marvin Harrison Jr., who left the game later on. Looked like he was concussed. And that was a big loss, even though from that point on, he didn't really play that much and wasn't much of a factor in the game. But at 21-7, I thought it's still way too early. Georgia could come back. They are champs, etc. But as it was, the Bulldogs came fighting back to the point where they tied the game. And C.J. Stroud, I got to give it up to him. And I mentioned this also on the podcast Thursday. You could check those receipts as well. I said that in order for Ohio State to win, C.J. Stroud would have to be Heisman-like, would have to put up a monster game, and even then, wouldn't guarantee a victory. And what do we see? Now, mind you, it did come down to the final play with the field goal, and I'll get to that in a minute. But Stroud, I thought, played terrifically. We saw the type of performance he put up there, 345 yards, four touchdowns. Ohio State played well. There's no shame. They can't hang their heads. Yes, they did have big leads and led throughout the entire game. Even when they took the lead there, 35-24, that was two key stretches in the game, I thought, which kept Georgia in the game and kept them, obviously, to the point where they took the lead there late. And the reason why I say that, because when they had the lead, kicking those field goals at 38-24 in the third quarter, and you thought to yourself, This is where Georgia has to bounce back because the clock not necessarily was their enemy at that point, but you don't want to have Ohio State to get their defense going, to get some stops, and then here you are in the fourth quarter still trailing by two scores, and even though we know it could change at the drop of a hat, but the last thing you want to do is tempt fate and knowing that you have plenty of time left where now the clock becomes your enemy. And they didn't have to worry about that because even at 38-24, The Bulldogs did kick a field goal to make it 38-27. And one more time, even when they did kick that field goal at 35-24, both of those field goals, 38-24 at the time, and even when they kicked the field goal to make it 41-35, those were two huge stops by Georgia there on their defense to be able to thwart Ohio State, not be able to punch it into the end zone because I thought if they would have scored a touchdown on either one of those two drives... The game was over. But now they converted those two field goals, which set them up for the game-winning touchdown there with 50-something seconds to go. And Stroud, who had the big scramble there in the middle of the field to get themselves in field goal range. And then, as I said earlier, with the clock ticking down on 2022 and Ohio State lining up for the game-winning field goal, which would have set up the first-ever three versus four. I believe it's the first-ever, and I should double-check that. But as we all know, usually the top-heavy teams are the ones that make it to the final. It could be a lot of one and two matchups as we've seen over the years, or two and three. But I don't believe, and again, I'm just going off the top of my head. Should have researched this, so I should have done my work. But three versus four in a national title game? But the kicker, Noah Ruggles, from 50 yards, was wide left and kicked it to Augusta. And the Georgia Bulldogs... Live to see another national championship game where they'll defend their title against TCU. And one more time, what more can you say as far as what Ohio State did in this game? Now, I know there was a big time out there at 38-27 where the 
Buckeyes looked like they were lined up for a fake punt. And Kirby Smart, the coach, called a timeout. Which, that would have been interesting to see because that was in Ohio State territory. But, be that as it may, once they got the ball back, they scored the touchdown, got the two-point conversion. And a lot of people thought, with about nine minutes left, that was a big turning point. So, you got to put that in the mix. But, for Ohio State, again, this was another tough loss. Not as bad as Michigan because a lot of people didn't think Ohio State was going to win this game. But I understand, it was there for them, it was right in front of them, it was in their hands, and it just slipped right through. Whereas Michigan, again, too many mistakes, and they pretty much beat themselves, although give credit to TCU and what they did. Because you have to do that. And for Georgia, this was a game, when you think about just the NCAA tournament as far as men's basketball goes, and you know that the champion usually has that one tough game on the precipice or even on their journey to win a national title yes you could beat up a 16 seed if you're a number one or you could get to the sweet 16 without breaking a sweat and then you get to the regional semi and even the regional final which could come down to the wire or maybe you're down by eight with two minutes to go and you come back and win there's always that one game that a national champion will look back and say that was the game that they'll circle as the one that they'll remember other than of course winning the title and cutting down the nets And this is my point when it comes to Georgia. This is a game that I'm sure when they left the building, not only did they exhale knowing that, boy, we got out of this game alive, but this is going to be a big building block. Not that they need it because they know what it takes to win a championship, but they got this one out of the way and you would think, not that this is going to be an easy task or they'll put up their feet, but I believe this is one that they will certainly have stick to the ribs to know that this isn't going to be an easy championship. This isn't going to be an easy road. And to get this one out of the way, it will certainly make the challenges a lot easier knowing what it takes based on their resiliency, championship medal, etc. And as far as Georgia, their machine, they know how to win. Stetson Bennett, huge game. What more can you say about him? The defense made those stops when they needed to. And now, let's see what happens next Monday. I won't preview the game. I'll talk more about that next Monday. But I will say this. TCU is tough, but Georgia is tougher. And I will say this as well. The same mistakes that TCU got against Michigan, they're going to need against Georgia. Because if it's just an even playing field, just say with no turnovers, TCU may be in the game. And that's just probably the best case scenario. And when I say maybe in the game, maybe early third quarter, they're down by two scores. And even then, you're not going to feel confident about TCU winning. At least that's my opinion. Now, if they get some breaks, short playing field, more pick sixes, Georgia fumbling at the goal line, whole different story. But one more time, Georgia is the defending national champs. And they know what it takes to win. And although TCU is tough and they've shown that they could play amongst the big boys, but they're going to need some breaks. And if they don't get those, it can be a long night next week out in LA. Just keep that in mind. All right, now let's turn our attention to the NFL as we're now closing out week 17 tonight, Buffalo and Cincinnati. As I mentioned earlier, a huge game with seeding implications because as we do know at this very moment the Bengals they're going to clinch the AFC North with a win tonight 
with the Raven loss yesterday, and I'll get to that later on. But when it comes to this game this evening, Buffalo needs to win this game in order to keep that one seed alive in the AFC. We know Kansas City won yesterday against Denver, which was a game that Denver fought hard. And I guess with the firing of Nathaniel Hackett, they wanted to show and prove and have that game be their Super Bowl as they never win against Kansas City. They never win an arrowhead. I believe they've lost 15 straight to the Chiefs. So the Broncos season, as we all know, long gone. 4-12, and 12, and chances are they'll be 4-13 and 13 because they have the Chargers going in to Mile High next week. But for this game tonight, this will solidify at least a two-seed for Cincinnati. If the Bills win, as I mentioned, they'll keep their perch at the top of the AFC with Kansas City beneath them. And then you have the Bengals at three. And even if they do lose tonight, they still have a shot to win a division next week as Baltimore comes to Cincinnati. But we'll see how that plays out. Should be a hotly contested game between Joe Burrow, Josh Allen. So ESPN finally gets a very good Monday night game. As remember, next week in the schedule, you have the Saturday games, which are both on ESPN. And as of right now, they have not announced what the Sunday night matchup is going to be. If I had to take a guess, the Sunday night matchup, if I had to take a guess, the only game that I think that NBC may put their 820 Sunday night is Detroit at Green Bay. And I understand people are sick of the Packers. We've seen them a lot here down the stretch, although they played well and they put themselves back. And now I have to talk about them because a few weeks ago, I had them dead and buried. And I did say, let me see them get to 500 and then we'll talk. Well, now they're at 500, so now it's time for me to talk. I think that they'll put that game there because although Seattle is part of this equation as well, but here's the thing. Even if Seattle wins their game against the Rams Sunday, that Detroit-Green Bay game means that Detroit will be out because they lose a tiebreaker to Seattle based on their loss earlier this year to the Seahawks. But Green Bay has a better conference record right at the moment, 6-5, and five, and the Seahawks are 5-6. and six. So therefore, if Green Bay wins, they'll be into the postseason based on a tiebreaker. As it is right this very second in the NFC, all three teams are tied at 8-8, eight and eight, but Seattle has the tiebreaker advantage and the final spot in the NFC because of that tiebreaker advantage over Detroit, and Detroit has the tiebreaker on Green Bay based on their defeat of the Packers earlier this year. But of course, that's going to change with the Lions and Packers facing off against one another. Now, the interesting thing will be, if Seattle does lose to the Rams for whatever the reason, then that's a win-or-go-home game. And that's what will make it fascinating, and that's the reason why I think NBC will choose that game to be the Sunday night game. Other than that, you're not going to put any of the other game. You're not going to put Baltimore-Cincinnati. You're not going to put the Eagles and the Giants, and we'll talk about the Eagles in a minute when we get through all of the permutations when it comes to seeding and the playoffs. I think it's going to be Detroit and Green Bay. And I understand people are going to say, oh, the Lions, they never win in Green Bay. Although they have won there recently, but I'm sure the weather's going to be in the teens. Who knows? It may even be snow. And the Lions, can they actually play and perform and maybe even pull off an upset at Lambeau to get themselves in the postseason based on what the Seahawks do? Obviously, that's a big, giant question mark. But I understand why NBC will go in that direction. I could even argue maybe for another game or two on the schedule, but you know what? There isn't. 
we could try to look and see what other games. Now remember, the Saturday games, you're going to have Kansas City at Las Vegas. And then you're going to have Tennessee and Jacksonville, which is going to be for the division on Saturday. Now, any of these other games on Sunday, you're not going to put New England-Buffalo. I guess you could, but that all depends on what's going to happen with the Steelers against Cleveland as well as the Jets and Dolphins. And again, you could put the Jets-Dolphins there, but the Jets have nothing to play for. And Miami, right now they're on the outside looking in. So you can't even put that game in primetime. And you're not going to put any of these other games, whether it's Arizona-San Francisco Dallas, Washington, Washington's toast. So I would think right now, if I had to guess, that's going to be the Sunday night game. So with all that being said, let's get to my winners and losers of week 17. And I'm going to start off with winner number one, and that's the San Francisco 49ers. They had to come from behind, 10-point deficit there in the third quarter to a Raider team. As we know, no Derek Carr, Jared Stidham, Stidham, ha 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 Stidham for my old hip-hop heads. What do you think about that? And for the Raiders to put forth an effort where they had the Niners on the ropes, but Brock Purdy and his legend continues to go full steam ahead as the Niners are now winners of nine in a row. And what happened in Green Bay with the Vikings getting plastered, and I'll get to them in a minute, but for the Niners to continue this road without Trey Lance, without Jimmy Garoppolo, and now with Brock Purdy under center, where he has not lost the game. The Niners have been perfect here over the last couple of months, and now they sit themselves as the two seed in the NFC and could possibly, dare I even say, based on what's going to happen this coming Sunday, they could be the one seed overall with a win against Arizona and the Giants beating the Eagles. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's why San Francisco, number one, and I get it's the Raiders, But we've seen Brock Purdy now for enough games to think that he's able to play with some pressure and able to play with a little bit of, I'm not going to go as far as saying chaos, because as bad as the rate of defense is, he did it on the road, he came from behind, so that's something that at least he could put in his back pocket for now. Is that going to mean anything if he's down by 10 points in Philadelphia, if it happens to be where they have to go to Philadelphia for an NFC Championship game? That remains to be seen. And I'm going to have to believe it when I see it. But for right now, Purdy continues to march along. The Niners are just rolling. And they could actually be a one seed by this time next week. They're my winner number one. My winner number two, and I have to go there, people. My Pittsburgh Steelers. Last night was a game where I didn't think they were going to score even at gunpoint. That's how bad the offense was. Yes, they were running the ball. Yes, Najee Harris had over 100 yards. But Kenny Pickett, for whatever the reason, a quarterback has to make three or four plays a game. And what you saw there last night, especially on that final drive, and then that catch by Najee Harris at 13-9 to to get that touchdown, the game reminded me a little bit, just a smidge, of that 2008 game where... The Steelers were down 9-6 with a little bit over two minutes to go and Roethlisberger took him down the length of the field, 92 yards I might add, and then Santonio Holmes caught that ball which was controversial whether or not it broke the plane of the goal line. Hey, that was 14 years ago so that's all over and done with but that reminded me a little bit of that game because they had to pull it out 
And remember, last year they won in Baltimore the final game of the season in order to get to the playoffs. Now, mind you, they had to wait for the finality of the Chargers and Raiders. And thank you, Brandon Staley, for your coaching snafu, your time out there as you tried to ice the kicker, which helped the Steelers make it into the postseason. But just gritty, I I don't even know what to say about this team. Their offense is from hunger. Their defense makes just enough plays. And I get it that the Raven offense is probably just as bad as the Steeler offense. Because look at what they've done here over the last month without Lamar Jackson. And it's not an indictment on Tyler Huntley. The guy plays, and he plays well, and he's a very good backup. But that last pass, I know you're going to say, what was he throwing it to? What was he doing? I understood that, where Fitzpatrick intercepted and ended the game at that point. But the Steelers live to see another week. And they need help from the Jets and also from the Bills. I trust Buffalo more than I do the Jets right now. And I could sit here and say, for two years in a row, could the football gods shine on the Pittsburgh Steelers? It could possibly happen. Now, my gut's telling me it's not going to happen because I think they'll beat Cleveland. And I think it's going to mean a lot for that team, for that locker room to get to 9-8. and eight Because as you know, Mike Tomlin has 15 straight seasons of coaching 500 or better in every one of his seasons that he's been an NFL coach. And I'm sure they're going to want to rally around that whether they make it into the playoffs or not. So I think they'll take care of business against Cleveland, but they're going to need Buffalo, which they're probably going to need the game. And I think in all likelihood because the night before, Kansas City's at Vegas, and if they win their game, they're going to have to win on Sunday based on what happens tonight, of course, because they still have to play the Monday night game. But that game is meaningful. Now, the sad part is, is that if Cincinnati does win this game, Buffalo may rest everybody because they'll have nothing to play for. They'll end up being a three seed and we'll see them in the following week in the wild card round. So a lot's going to have to happen between now and then, but the Steelers live to see another day. This team was two and six and five and eight and now they're 500. I don't know what else to tell you. And for those who want to throw Mike Tomlin out into the garbage, and I'm not trying to say he's Vince Lombardi, but... If you have a replacement or somebody that you have next in line, then tell me who it is. Because I want to know. So I got to give it up for Pittsburgh and what they've done here. And that was an enormous win. Typical Steeler-Raven matchup. Just tooth and nail. I didn't think they were going to pull it out there at the end. Even though, of course, I'm always going to have hope and always try to be as optimistic. But again, these Steeler-Raven games, as you know, they could go from one direction to another. So they were able to prevail and win it. So kudos to them. They are my second winner of the week. My losers of the week, the first one has to go to the Carolina Panthers because if you're up 21-10 in the fourth quarter, and I understand it's Tom Brady, I understand that as bad of a year that the Buccaneers have had, they still have number 12 under center. But to have a fourth quarter lead and your defense is underrated and is pretty good and you weren't able to pull that game out to the point where you let them go up and down the field and score three touchdowns. And in essence, actually had an opportunity at the very end where the Bucks were punting and the snap was a low snap. The punter had to pick it up and it looked like there could have been an opportunity where Carolina could have had the ball in Buccaneer territory. But the punter was wise enough to go toward the sideline and he actually booted the ball and sure enough, The recovery team was at the five-yard line and they downed it right there so there was no shot for the Panthers to even make one last threat and just a terrible way to end their season because as I've talked about even last 
Monday and on the podcast Thursday, if the Panthers would have won that game, they would have been in pole position to win the NFC South. And because of their fourth quarter meltdown on defense and them on special teams not being able to pick up that play and get the ball at least for an opportunity to try to take a shot to the end zone, the Panther season goes up in smoke and they're my loser number one. Loser number two, sorry to Headstyle and Kev, the Viking fan, but you're Vikings here. You've been on the thin line between winning and losing here the whole season, as evidenced by your 12 one-score victories throughout. We could talk about the miracle in Buffalo and even the bigger miracle against Indianapolis. Even earlier this year, when they came back from two scores down against Detroit at home, there were a lot of these games. And you don't throw wins back. And even if you come from behind, whether it's at the time in Buffalo, what was it, 23-21 or whatever it was, and they got that touchdown there to make it 27-23 or 33-0 against the Colts there on a Saturday. We could go through all these games. But this one... And there was a lot of hoopla heading into this game with Jair Alexander saying that, yeah, he's human, meaning Justin Jefferson, who's having a record-breaking season. And to thwart that Viking offense and to shut down Justin Jefferson, one reception for 15 yards and him doing gritties all over the field and for the Packers to probably have their most complete game of the season as they buried Minnesota. It was 41-17, but it was 41-3. The Vikings were a no-show. And knowing that they had the Niners breathing down their back, and I get it. Green Bay has played well during this stretch, as I mentioned, and it was going to be a tough game. I'm sure there was a lot of that talk was payback because of what Justin Jefferson did in week one. What did he have? 11 catches for 178 yards, two touchdowns somewhere in that vicinity. And the Vikings now are looking at a three-seed And in all likelihood, we'll have to go to San Francisco to play in the divisional round. And for a team that's going to end up 13-4, and and that's a very good record, they may not even be long to go to a championship game. We'll have to wait and see, but that was just a bad performance, no matter how you cut it, this late in the season. And you would even have to worry because they go to Chicago next week. And Chicago, as we all know, they have just been putrid throughout this latter part of the season, but you know they're going to rally around that game as their Super Bowl to try to thwart whatever momentum that the Vikings are looking forward to or would try to at least get themselves ready and right the ship to head into the wild card weekend. No, they're going to do whatever it takes, but I would think the Vikings would win next week, but as far as yesterday is concerned, just a god-awful performance, and now you got to wonder whether or not they're going to be long for the playoffs here in the next week or so. So those are my winners and losers. As I go through the rest of the schedule, Dallas and Tennessee, what am I going to talk about there? That was a game that meant nothing. Now it's all up to Tennessee this coming Saturday night to go to Jacksonville to see if they could go ahead and win a division. And if they were to win, they will have a tiebreaker there with the Jaguars as far as head-to-head goes because with the Jaguars at 8-8 eight and eight and the Titans at 7-9, and nine, they'll have a better division record against Jacksonville overall so that's why they'll win the division but Jacksonville they are full steam ahead based on their win yesterday in Houston as they just pasted the Texans and put them out of their misery for the most part 31-3 to 
But the other games of note, obviously I'm not going to get into Arizona, Atlanta, Chicago, Detroit. I mentioned briefly about Denver and Kansas City. Miami, without Tua Tagovailoa and having Teddy Bridgewater leave because of a right finger injury and you have to bring in Skylar Thompson. And it may bode well for the Steeler fan if Skylar Thompson is going to start next week. But with the Dolphins, knowing that they are hanging by their chinny-chin-chin as far as making it to the playoffs, and we'll go through all the scenarios later, but for the Patriots who keep their season alive and know that they have destiny in their own control, 23-21, the Patriots look to see if they can put the icing on the cake. Again, they have to go to Buffalo to do so. But that was a win that New England had to have. And now Miami, five in a row that they've lost this year as their season slowly but surely is slipping through their hands. And I'm sure a lot of question marks are going to be at the quarterback's feet come the end of the season, whether they do make it to the postseason, where they'd have to exhale. But if they don't, there's going to be a lot of answering to if you're the Miami head coach. So we'll see what happens there. The Eagles... Now we're going to have to wonder whether or not Jalen Hurts is going to have to be in uniform, which if he's healthy enough, I would think so because there is no way that you want the possible MVP of the league. And these past two games just show that where he's going to have these two weeks off. And if he doesn't perform this coming week with a potential buy on the horizon, he's going to have four weeks off before he gets under center in a divisional round. But as we know, that's tenuous at the moment because They do have pole position in the NFC, but with the Niners now breathing down their necks and knowing that if they lose and the Niners win, they're going to be hosting one, two games and would have to go on the road to play in the championship game, which would be bad if you ask me. But I'll get to that later. So with the Eagles, who put up a stinker there against the Saints, they had the one big play, Gardner Minshew to A.J. Brown for the only touchdown of the game by the Eagles. He had a terrible pick six there late at 13-10. And the Eagles, you got to wonder, they have to stop the bleeding somehow as they're leak springing all over the Eagles ship. And now we're going to have to wait and see. The big story this week is whether or not Jalen Hurts is going to be 100% healthy to play because they're going to need to win this game. They don't want to have to have a scenario where the game, chances are they may push that giant Eagle game to 4 o'clock because of the competition factor on having the uncertainty of whether or not either one of those two teams, Philadelphia, San Francisco, that their playoff fate, or in this particular case, the number one seed fate will be sealed. I'm sure they would want to have those games go head-to-head, 425, considering that Arizona is going to the Bay Area on Sunday. So you have to keep that in mind with the schedule because a lot of these games at the present moment are to be determined. But the Eagles are going to have to keep an eye on. Washington, done. Should I even get into that? Now, Ron Rivera, I don't know if he's going to be terminated, but why in the hell did he bring back Carson Wentz? And I led the show on Thursday with that because Taylor Henneke, who, as we all know, short in stature, plays with tremendous heart, skill is borderline, but there was no way that you needed to pull him there. I get it that the commanders have been stumbling, fumbling, and bumbling here over the last few weeks, but did Carson Wentz really give you a better opportunity to win a game? Did you see those stats yesterday? He barely threw for, what, 160 yards, threw three interceptions, and I'm sure, I didn't watch the game or follow it closely, but I bet whatever 
of the Commander Faithful was in the building. I'm sure they booed Carson Wentz out into the parking lot, into the night, and probably into the offseason because Carson Wentz, as far as his future in the NFL, it is looking like it's going to be a career backup at best. And that's all I could say about that. And for Cleveland, where three TDs by Deshaun Watson, but he was 9 for 18 and he wasn't really impressive as far as his overall numbers are concerned, but they did just enough and the commanders are done for the postseason. And it's just a shame because they played so well in the middle of the season and they actually had destiny still in their own hands as of yesterday, but that goes up in smoke as we saw. And speaking of which, the Jets season again, similar to the commanders where they had a stretch where they looked like they were going to be postseason bound. The Jets who have not made it to the playoffs since 2010 That was the last time that they even went to a championship game, if you remember, when they lost to the Steelers there in that season. Have not made it to the playoffs since then. The longest drought in the NFL to date. And it's going to be another year. And just, what more can you say? If you're a Jet fan, you got to just pull all the hair out of your head and you got to say to yourself, this is how my new year is going to start. And it certainly did start in a bad way. Mike White was not the answer. He threw a couple of interceptions. I don't even think he's going to be the long-term answer there, despite the fact that he's had some moments here in the league, whether it was last year or even earlier this year, as we saw. But, man, the Jets season came tumbling down, similar to the Commanders, and Seattle, they're going to live to see another week based on what they did and how they performed there yesterday. Kenneth Walker ran for 133 yards. Geno Smith, I know, faced his former team there yesterday. And Geno Smith was pedestrian, Two touchdowns, had the opening touchdown catch, the drive there, which pretty much set the wheels rolling for the Seahawks to put themselves in a 23-6 victory. And let's see what they do next week as they close out their season at home against the Rams. Other games from yesterday that were of note, I'm not going to get into the Battle of LA, which I'm sure only a handful of people saw, but the Chargers were able to win 31-10. The Giants, give it up to them. Daniel Jones got a standing ovation. 38-10 as they wallop the Colts. No surprise there. As they make it into the postseason. And they will have a sixth seed. And pretty much they're entrenched in that spot. Based on the tie. So they don't have to worry about tiebreakers. So they'll be the sixth seed in the postseason come next week. Or the week after next, I should say. And other than that, that's what you have there for a week 17 And we will see how this all unfolds here, not only tonight, but obviously next week where you have the two games Saturday, the whole slate Sunday, and we'll see what the Sunday night game will be as I take a look to see if anything has been announced as far as the Sunday night schedule or what will be the final game of the NFL season. Right now, nothing has come through the wire. We'll see if we'll get an announcement before I finish this recording. But now let's quickly go through the permutations of what we have in both the AFC and NFC. I'll start with the AFC, as I mentioned a million times over right now. Kansas City has the number one spot because we have to see what happens tonight with Buffalo and Cincinnati. If Buffalo wins, they'll still have the number one seed. If they lose, Cincinnati now will move up and have the two seed. They will have to hope if Casey loses to Vegas on Sunday and if Cincinnati wins out, they'll have the one seed based on them winning the final two games. If Buffalo wins the next two, they have the one seed. If Buffalo loses one of the next two, 
and KC wins next week, then KC will have the one seed throughout the AFC. As far as the four seed, it's going to be all based on what happens with Jacksonville and Tennessee. Five seed, it's going to be Baltimore. Now the Chargers with their win, they flip-flop. Let me just double check that. Yes, with the Chargers winning and the Ravens losing, the Chargers have a better conference record than the Ravens. So they currently have the five seed where the Ravens are six. And for the final playoff spot, you have three teams fighting for it. The number seven seed between New England, Miami, Pittsburgh. As I mentioned, if Pittsburgh wins and both the Patriots and Dolphins lose, the Steels will have the seven seed. If the Patriots win, they're in. If Miami wins, they're in. Because remember, Pittsburgh loses both tiebreakers to both the Patriots and the Dolphins based on what happened earlier this season. So even if they win, one of those two teams win, they're in. So that's how the AFC shakes down. And the NFC, it's currently Philadelphia, but as I mentioned, if they lose and San Francisco wins, the Niners will have the one seed. If the Niners, they should stay put, but if they lose and if the Vikings win, the Vikings will have the two seed. So they'll be able to dance throughout the Twin Cities if that's the case, but I don't think that will be because Arizona will go to San Francisco and I'm sure they're going to treat that as a game wanting to keep that two seed. Then you have the Buccaneers. By them clinching, they'll have the four seed followed by Dallas, the Giants, and as I mentioned earlier with the three teams, Seattle, Detroit, Green Bay, if Seattle wins, they have to hope for Detroit to win because the Packers have a better conference record than the Seahawks. If the Seahawks win, they'll be 6-6 six and six in the conference. Obviously, if the Packers win, they'll be 7-5. and five. They will knock the Lions out and they will have the tiebreaker advantage against Seattle just based on the conference record, so they will get the seven seed. So even if the Seahawks win, they're not guaranteed a postseason spot. So that's how you know Green Bay wins. Again, they have head-to-head over the Lions. And even if the Lions win, although they'll knock the Packers out, but they'll lose that tiebreaker advantage to the Seahawks. And the only way that the Lions get in is that if they beat the Packers and Seattle loses. That is your playoff picture in a big, giant nutshell. All right, I'm going to turn my attention to go rapid fire here because there's not much to discuss in any of the other big sports NBA, I know LeBron scored 47 points, 10 rebounds, and 9 assists on his 38th birthday Friday night in Atlanta. A remarkable achievement. And I get it that people are adding me on social media saying, oh, you know that MJ, Michael Jordan, scored 51 at the age of 41. And then I say, well, we're not talking about Michael Jordan. We're talking about LeBron James. And I had so many people getting at me, Kobe's better, and MJ. And all I wanted to do was just praise LeBron And everybody knows I'm a Celtic fan. And yes, I am a LeBron supporter based on what he's done throughout his career. How could you not? The guy is arguably top three of all time. And if you don't believe me, you can't just base it all on championships. Because if that's the case, Bill Russell will be number one over everybody. Including Jordan, including Magic, including Kobe, etc. By him winning 11. So you can't just base it on championships. But when we talk about the entire career... He's the only guy in NBA history, let's start here, 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 10,000 assists. Uh, case closed. I don't think you're ever going to see that as long as I'm alive, you're alive, maybe even your grandkids. Okay, so I'm just giving him props to 38, 
20 years in the game and he's still putting up big-time numbers, big-time performances, you got to give it up. And that's all I was trying to do there. I wasn't trying to break out the LeBron pom-poms. I wasn't trying to say, oh, he's the best of all time. I wasn't trying to say, forget about this guy, that guy. There's no way that this one matches up to him. No, none of that. But of course, people want to throw darts at me and I'm ready to catch them all because you know that's me and that's what I do and that's why I do what I do. So I just wanted to give LeBron a shout out based on what he did there. 38 years old and he's still putting up just astronomical numbers. As far as the NHL, Alexander Ovechkin got his 30th hat trick, which inches closer to Wayne Gretzky all time. And now I believe he's at 805. We know he's not going to catch Gretzky this year. The Caps have been hot. I know the Hurricanes have been hot too. And we talked about that on Thursday. But for the Capitals, we all know the team goes as Ovechkin goes. And that's what they've been doing here over the course of the past four or five weeks. So I just had to give him some praise and I understand before people get at me, oh, Gretzky was a better goal scorer, so was Mario Lemieux, Brett Hull, Steve Eiserman. you want to throw all these names at me, Phil Esposito if you want to go way back, Marcel Dion, okay, okay, I get it, but we're talking about Ovechkin, all right? And I'm sure I'm not going to get anybody coming at me in that regard the way the NBA fan has with LeBron. But I figured, hey, let me give them some props, give them some shine, and Ovechkin continues to go up the goal-scoring chart and the hat-trick chart, which, if I have to take a quick look, I'll do so right now. I believe he did notch his 30th. That I know is a fact. And they've won 8 of the last 10. I believe they had a stretch where they've won a ton of games. I talked about this again on the podcast Thursday, so if you want to go back to even listen to that, please feel free to do so. But Ovechkin, as we look at all-time with hat-tricks, he is currently 6th all-time behind... Phil Esposito, Brett Hull, Mike Bossy, Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky. And Gretzky has 50 career hat-tricks. So, that's all you need to know about the great one. But one more time, I just want to give Ovechkin his due, considering that he's continuing to assault the goal-scoring record as he gets closer to Wayne Gretzky. Baseball, not much to discuss. And in fact, I'm not going to get into Carlos Correa, as I said at the top. But one thing I will say, people. Are you ready for this? Wrap your head around what I'm about to say here. Now that we're into 2023, six weeks from tomorrow, pitchers and catchers will report. What do you think about that? Two days after the Super Bowl, February the 15th, I believe Tampa is going to be one of the first camps to open up for pitchers and catchers. Then five days later, you'll have the players report. So guess what? Six weeks away. Start counting it down. And when the Super Bowl's over, then we can look forward to Arizona, Florida, the Grapefruit League, the Cactus League, exhibition season, and we could all rejoice as we'll be six weeks from that point to the start of the baseball season. Just want to throw that in there. And then lastly, I have to give his just due the passing of Pele, who I mentioned on my social media accounts. This guy was the Babe Ruth of his sport. Three-time World Cup champ, Brazil, being a boy in the mid to late 70s, him playing for the New York Cosmos, Giorgio Canalia. Franz Beckenbauer, the Cosmos were a big thing. They even made a 30 for 30 about the Cosmos in that time, how they invaded New York. They played a couple of games in Yankee Stadium, but they also played out in the former Meadowlands previously before MetLife. And we know how big he was for that sport, how synonymous he was with soccer, especially as they tried to grow here in the United States with the North American Soccer League and obviously didn't really 
gain any traction or gain any momentum as now they do have the MLS and that's become popular over the last decade plus. But Pele, 82 years of age, we know how big of a figure he was, not only just in that sport, but just world-renowned. And we know soccer is a global sport. Everybody knows who Pele is, just like everybody knows who Muhammad Ali is. Everybody knows who Tiger Woods is. He was that type of transcendent figure in that sport. Not only a champion, not only a dynamic player, and when you hear the name Pele, the first thing you think of, of course, soccer. And obviously, that's what he did. That's who he was. And at the age of 82, he passes away. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to his friends, his family, Brazil, the whole soccer community throughout the world as he leaves us in transitions at the age of 82. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. I'll be back on Thursday as we now are into the new year, primed, prepped, and ready to go. As you know, this is what I love to do, people. This is what I love to talk about. In fact, in another two months, come March 1st, less than that now, it'll be five years of the podcast. The only reason why I bring that up is because I want to continue to elevate and we'll continue to do that. But I do need your help. Just like I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast or right before we kicked off, if you haven't done so, whether you're new to the podcast or whether you've been around for quite some time, please subscribe, rate, review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, or suggestions, you could do so on my social media feeds, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, The J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just the number, and the old-fashioned way, The J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up and I'll be more than happy to follow up. And in conclusion, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is and Paul, A-T is and Tom, R-E-O-N is and Nancy, dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth is going to go 100% to the production of this podcast, the upkeep of the website, all the equipment to make this experience into this microphone to your earbuds or speakers that much more pleasurable, that much more exciting as you tune in not only once but twice a week, one more time. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. Not only critiquing, praising, but sharing my thoughts, opinions, analysis with passion, fire, fury, energy on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>